And Christmas, I suppose, Christmas is great. Uh, It's one of those times of the year where we still do very traditional things. Uh, In our culture in Australia, we don't do a lot of traditional stuff anymore, but Christmas is one, that one time of the year where we do a heap of traditional stuff where we hang decorations and uh, we we give gifts. Uh, There's carols. People get together and sing, uh, which is different. Um, And I suppose um, something that's become a bit of a tradition in Australia and probably in Western society, is this idea of let's get home for Christmas. Let's make this extra effort just to be home. And for many families, that's a big deal. A big deal about everyone, everyone being together, everyone being at home for Christmas. And there's something special about being home. Um... And I think it's more than aircon. It's it's more than Mum's special potato salad she only makes at Christmas time. It's the people. It's it's being in that place that you feel accepted, that you belong, and that you feel valued. That that's that's what we go home for. And for some of us, home nece- isn't necessarily the place that we grew up in. Um, It's that place where we get that sense of acceptance and belonging with with, um, a group of people. So over the coming weeks, as as Brendan indicated, we we want to have a look a bit more about this idea of home for Christmas and and what does that look like and what's a characteristic of being home? Um, And I suppose as we lead into Christmas, we we definitely want to have a look uh, more about this whole idea of this, this eternal home that Jesus spoke about and um, that Christmas was the beginning of pointing us forward um, to that eternal home. So to start with, I think it's a great way to start is um, let's pray um, and ask God to, to lead us this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we want to say thank you for being here with us this morning. You're not here because you have to be. Uh, You're not here out of obligation, but you are here. Your spirit is here with us because you want to be here. You have chosen to be here amongst us this morning. And Father, we want to continue uh, in an attitude of worship. We have have sung uh, together. Now, Father, we we want to, to continue our worship as we sit and we allow you to speak to us. So, Father... May we be bold enough to allow what it is that you want to tell us this morning to, to penetrate us um, and to change, to change the way that we live. And we, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, when, we, when we first met, the ministry team first met, and we talked about this series, um, and I found out that my topic for today was home for the homeless. I was pretty happy with that idea. Uh, with, uh, with Winter Shelter that we're involved with this year. I learned a lot about uh, homelessness um, and, and the people that are homeless and the things that lead to being homeless. So I thought this, is, this will be a piece of cake. Um, and then when Brendan and Ross said, well, we really want you to pick up on this idea that, that Jesus was homeless. And I went, what? 
What do you, what do you mean that Jesus was home, homeless? And it was something that I'd never really ever considered before. So I thought that would be a great place for us to start this morning, to look at this whole idea that Jesus was homeless. And we start uh, in the book of Luke in chapter 2. And we read from, uh, from verses 1 to 7. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He travelled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. We've heard this story a heap of times at this time of year. Jesus was born and placed in a manger and that Mary and Joseph couldn't find anywhere to stay. And Luke is very clear that there was no room for them and that Mary gave birth to her first, firstborn son without any shelter, no home, no place to stay, but the Son of God came into this world as a homeless person. The Son of God knew what it was like to start life without a, a permanent roof over his head. And then as we read uh, the events of the Nativity, they continued to occur in a place that was not home for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And to use today's terms, these three were sleeping rough staying in temporary accommodation without the safety or protection of their home. And no doubt for Mary and Joseph as brand new parents, for, Ma uh, for Mary just a teenage girl, this was extremely traumatising and really unsettling. Now the, the Bible doesn't indicate how long they stayed in Bethlehem or how long they stayed in this situation, but it does tell us that they didn't, when this was done, they didn't return home to Nazareth. And so we pick this up in Matthew chapter 2. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Jesus left for Egypt with the child of Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Now this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realised that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. 
Now we read here that once Jesus' birth had come to the notice of King Herod, Herod gave orders to go out and kill all the small boys in and around Bethlehem. So Mary, Joseph and Jesus were forced to flee to Egypt and to take refuge there, where they remained for a number of years until Herod had died and then they returned home to Nazareth. Now, the United Nations refers to a refugee as someone who has been forced to flee his, his or her country because of persecution, war or violence. So as we read, we see that Jesus' life was in danger of violence and even death if they had stayed in Israel. So they fled to Egypt. By today's definition, Jesus not only started life being homeless, he now became a child refugee. If we now skip forward, we skip forward a number of years to when Jesus started his ministry. We know that he left his home in Nazareth and essentially he became homeless again. As he began travelling through the region it appears that he had no real home of his own. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of this in Luke 9, 58. And Jesus said to, to the disciples, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And now while Jesus was describing his separation from his heavenly home, he was also talking about his homelessness on earth. Now, it's likely that Jesus, as he travelled, he stayed in the homes of his friends and whoever would welcome him as he spent his three years in ministry. And today, this would be known as couch surfing. There's also indications that Jesus often slept outside. And we, again, we get an indication of this in Luke. Every day, Jesus went to the temple to teach and each evening, he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. And even, even the night before Jesus was crucified, he spent it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wasn't in a house, he was in a garden. And while certainly being outside under quiet, starlit nights often provided escape from the crowds and the noise and the bustle and people wanting a piece of Jesus. It also meant that he often experienced the harshness of being homeless, sleeping on hard ground, being cold and hungry, uh, being stuck alone in the darkness. And yet, while Jesus lived in this homeless state, he often talked about the importance of a good home. He talked about that a home was more than a house. There's numerous accounts of Jesus visiting people in their homes. He ate meals with them in their homes. He taught about homes being built on a firm foundation. He talked about preparing rooms in a heavenly home. And he told stories of shepherds going out to find lost sheep 
and bringing them home. And he told a a well-known story about a prodigal son that left and then came home. This concept of home was something he referred to time and again. And as Jesus travelled with his disciples, despite them being homeless, I'm sure he must have created this sense of home with them. He created with them this sense of unconditional love and acceptance, that they belonged, that each of them mattered. Life on the road with Jesus was probably tough. It was unpredictable. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know who was going to have a go at them. And yet they stayed. They stayed with Jesus through some tough stuff. And I think a big part of why they stayed was this sense of being home. They found this sense of being home in Jesus. They found in Jesus a place of security, a place of peace, a place of rest. And over over time, as Jesus travelled with his disciples, he instilled in them this attitude about the importance of people, of caring for each other. He taught them about grace. He taught them about loving their neighbour. He talked often to them about being unified as one. This is what he wanted in his church. He wanted this sense of family, this sense of togetherness, this sense of home. And when we, when we read about the early church, we, we see how they did this. And we read this in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. This, this was the church that Christ had intended. A place that was filled with his power and presence and people who loved God and they loved each other. Early on, the church met in homes. And as people put their faith in Christ, they were accepted into a family, not a program-orientated organisation. They ate together, they prayed together, they lived together as a loving community. They enjoyed getting to know each other and talking all about the things that God was doing. Church for them was a time of connection and deep relationships. And because their gatherings were in homes, 
They had this informal feel that really fostered an openness between people. And this led to the ability to know and trust each other, just on a deeper level. It was a good place to be. This place was real. This place was family. It was a place for them to call home. Along the way, as the church grew, it started to move into larger buildings, numbers started to increase. The focus started to turn to organisation, structure and programs, rather than the people. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, the modern church got lost in managing the numbers, got lost in creating standards and conditions, and it lost sight at times of its people. What had started as a flexible, diverse community of believers started to slowly become more of a rigid structure of rules and unreasonable standards. And people got lost. Louis Giglio in his book, Never Too Far, he puts it this way. Being locked out is a picture of the frustration people sometimes feel when they approach the church. Sadly, the church as a whole has too often made people in our society feel locked out of the house where they really belong. We even alter our language, words, phrases, tone, from the way we normally speak. We create a subculture. And if you don't know the door code and the secret knock, then you're not getting in. That type of exclusion sends a horrible message. We are in and you are out. We've done it right. You've done it wrong. We've stayed on the straight and narrow, but you're an idiot that's blowing your life. As the church, we need to be really careful about keeping the needs of people as a priority. We need to be inviting to those who are worn out by the world and are looking for a place that is safe, life-giving and strength-restoring. It's a little bit like returning home after a long trip. In July, when I got back with the team from Uganda, uh, we got home at 3 a.m. After three weeks in Uganda, we, where we saw amazing things happen, and it was, it was an awesome time. And it was sad to leave. But I was also excited about this idea of coming home. So after a, after a long, long flights home and travelling, as I said, we got home at 3am. I got home to my place at 3am. I got out of the bus and um, I fumbled in the dark to find my key to get in the house and I dragged my luggage inside and um, I snuck through the house in the semi-darkness, uh, careful not to wake up my family, and I headed for my spot on the couch. As I sat down in my spot, after 24 hours of travel, 
closed my eyes and I just went, it's great to be home. So good to be home. A lot of us have probably experienced that feeling of being away but coming home, coming back to that place of acceptance, of, of loved ones, and just feeling relieved to be home. And that's what we should be after in our church. We should be creating an environment where people can say things like, the minute I walked through those doors, it just felt like home. We want people to experience God and the love of God's people the minute they walk in the door. We want it to be tangible and unmistakable that the love of God is in this place. As I said at the start earlier this year, we were involved with the Winter Shelter Program for the Homeless. And we provided a place to stay on Tuesday nights for a number of, a number of homeless people uh, during winter. Uh, early one morning, I, I tried to be here early in the mornings to uh, have our, our night team. They went home and um, we'd have a team that would come and make breakfast. And early one morning, I sat with one of the guests um, just on sunrise. He got up, he went out to have his breakfast of a cigarette. And so I sat outside with him while he had, had his first smoke of the day. And I asked him, we had a conversation about how he's finding winter shelter. And his reply to me was that he loved coming to Humeridge. He talked to me about his situation and that because of some addictions in his life, there were some nights that he couldn't take advantage of the accommodation provided by winter shelter. But he was very, very adamant that he would never miss Tuesday nights here at Humeridge. When I asked him why, his response started with a little laugh. And he said, it seems silly to say, but this place sort of feels like home. I've got drug problems. I'm homeless. Everything I own, I carry in two bags. My life is stuffed up. But when I come here, when I come to Humeridge, the people here treat me with respect. They sit and talk to me. They remember my name. We even laugh together. I never feel judged. I always feel accepted when I come here. People in this place actually care. See, it's... It's the simple things that make a difference. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that for church to be great, it needs great programs, great ministries and great events. And while these are important, and the church should have great ministries and great programs and great events, the thing that makes a difference really is how people treat each other. American civil rights activist Maya Angelou puts it like this. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. 
but people will never forget how you made them feel. One of the most significant things you can do is genuinely show a person that you're happy to see them. So simple things like smiling and saying hello, looking people in the eyes and letting them know that you see them and hear them, letting them know that they matter. A Christ-centred church may not be perfect, but it's a place where people can feel love, accepted and cared about. As Alex mentioned at the start of the service, youth camp's on this weekend. 250 young people and Ross are away at the coast. And a number of times during prayer week, in the the week where at 6am we would get together and pray, Ross often said that this wasn't normal, that young people getting together to pray at 6am wasn't normal, And he said that youth camp isn't normal. It's not normal that 250 teenagers from different churches, different schools, different cultures, different faith backgrounds come together and they head off on a church camp. It's not normal. But one of the reasons why youth works well is that it has for a number of years developed this culture of acceptance and a culture where young people feel valued and accepted. For a long time, it's been said that if youth, if the youth work here had a theme song, it would be the song from the American sitcom Cheers. This show centres around a bar in Boston where a group of locals meet to relax and socialise. And the show each week started with this song. And this is a song that Ross has, has quoted time and again. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, thankfully. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? All those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail, and your little angel hung the cat up by its tail, and your third fiancé didn't show. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Isn't this what we want in our church? Don't we want that this place to be one where people are glad that they came, that you came? that you notice. Don't we want this to be a place where you feel like you belong? So as we head into this Christmas period, 
let's make every effort to make this even more of a reality here at Humeridge. Let's continue to make Humeridge a place where people are the priority, where they are noticed and where they are restored with Christ. Just like the early church, we need to be about welcoming people into God's family rather than a big organisation. Let us be known for the way we treat each other rather than our great programs. Let's continue to develop a culture of unconditional love and acceptance and let this place be known as a home for the homeless. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we want to find a home in you. And Father, we, we want to be about helping others find that home. And Father, we, we want this place. We want your church to be a place where people feel at home. That they can bring their baggage. That we can bring our baggage. And that's okay. Father, we want this to be a place where your unconditional love emanates out through each of us. So, Father, we pray. I ask this morning that you help us to do those things. You help us to do the hard work of getting along with each other. Help us to create this type of culture. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and create this sense of being home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.